the commitment that this community and parish has made to do exactly what you just said uh, and target youth sports regardless of the age is second to none across our state. The hospitality, can't beat it. Uh, I just think it's a treasure. Uh, you all do a great job with it and uh, you've checked all the boxes. Thanks for joining us on Louisiana's Playground Podcast, your roadmap to all things Lake Charles, Louisiana. I'm Brady Raynard. And I'm Anna Strider. We're excited to bring you the authentic stories and experiences that our destination has to offer as we give you the tools you need to build your personal Lake Charles itinerary. So we've got a terrific show for you today as we chat with Eddie Bonine. He's the executive director of the LHSAA, which is the Louisiana High School Athletic Association. Basically, he's in charge of all the athletic events for the high schools and basically creating an environment of competition and fair play for our local and state athletes to play at across the state. But before we get started with this great conversation about all of the youth sports that are happening here in Southwest Louisiana during this time of the year, we're going to kick off with a taste of Southwest Louisiana in our segment, On V Eats. As Anna said, a taste of Louisiana, it's a chance for her and I to sample local restaurants and bring you the lowdown on what they're bringing you to the table, what else is on the menu, what we got, and how much ultimately that we enjoyed it because there are so many great places to eat here in Southwest Louisiana. And this week, it is St. Patrick's Day weekend. I know we're very excited, so it was only appropriate that we went to McFarland Celtic Pub to have a taste of what they had to offer. And it's a family-owned restaurant that's been in business at the same location for 17 years. It started with the matriarch, a patriarch of the family, and now their sons run it, who were both classically trained uh, in the cooking arts in New Orleans, and now they run it as the executive chef and general manager, uh, thanks to that that training that they have. And they're really in the heart of downtown Lake Charles. They're right off I-10 when you come off the exit 29 to get into downtown. They are right there. When you're sitting on their patio, you can look out over the lakefront. They're just steps away from Bark Duloc Dog Park, the Civic Center, Millennium Park, and of course the lakefront boardwalk area. So they're very centrally located in that aspect. And the feel of the restaurant just plays right into that. Like I said, they have a patio area that is pet friendly. And then they also have a really charming, intimate pub area that gives you everything about feeling as if you were in one of the Celtic nations with the artwork on the walls, the colors, and also the attire that the staff wears. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the strongest selling point for them. Obviously, their food is good, but because it's a pub, it's a place that you can get something to eat and, of course, something to drink. Over 140 different Celtic beers, uh, Belgian as well that they are able to uh, serve and pour you there. And you mentioned their attire. They wear traditional kilt attire, and then they have a McFarland's-themed T-shirt that they have uh, that they create. And the colors are from the McFarland clan, which is Mary, the owner's maiden name. They have uh, what's they're called clans there, and tartans are the plaid pattern that you would see. And so the colors and the patterns are all based historically off the McFarland clan. The owners are certified Guinness pouring experts and train their staff in-house to pour as well. So it it really is the atmosphere, but their food is something to really talk about. They have a very extensive menu that the chef 
actually changes out every six to eight months and really moves items around and brings new things to life. On the menu, they offer a wide range of different seafood specials, burgers, they have salads, great appetizers, and it's broken out to also have those very Celtic staples in its own section. So you can definitely go there and get those. But like I said, they're, they specialize in seafood because the Celtic nations are surrounded by the seas. So it really is something there and here. But what's special here is that all of their food has a punch of Southwest Cajun Creole flavor. Yeah, you don't really realize how many similarities we have in terms of what we eat and the way that they eat. And so it's cool to see the combination of some of their dishes where you get kind of the best of both worlds, which is what influenced our decisions of what we ultimately got to eat. I went with the fish and chips. I love that traditional fish and chips vibe that they have, except the chips were actual potato chips, homemade potato chips that they made. Think of a hickory smoked kind of barbecue flavor on them as they were super crispy, seasoned to perfection. The chips were incredible. And the two pieces of fish that accompanied it were cod battered, were were beer battered fried fish that had a hint of that malt vinegar there on the outside. And they were Awesome, super crispy, yet very flaky on the inside, as you expect cod to be. And on the side, I got the glazed green beans, which means they're going to be a little sweet and they're kind of cooked down. And so there's just ultimately a really good pairing for what was a pretty awesome entree. I, on the other hand, got the shepherd's pie. I will say that shepherd's pie was a staple for my roommates and I in college. So I had to try it here and it did not disappoint. It had the lamb, the beef, peas, carrots, everything that you would anticipate to be in your shepherd's pie, all baked and with this gravy that I just can't describe how rich the flavors are of the gravy. It was a thicker brown gravy drizzled with the mashed potatoes. And then there was this golden brown crisp top to it. And I mean, it, it hit the spot. It was everything I, I was imagining. I also got the chips with my dish, and they were absolutely delicious. They're almost like um like a Lay's barbecue, but with more flavor and a little bit crispier. So I had to get those. And that all was accompanied by the appetizers that we got as well. We got the pub fries because you had to get the pub fries. You have to get the pub fries. You have to get the pub fries. They also have a seafood french fry kind of pub fry affair that looked really good too that we didn't get to try, but my eye was definitely on it the whole time while we were ordering. And these pub fries had that same gravy that was with the shepherd's Mm -hmm. pie and cheeses, bacon, onion. I mean, oh, I could have them again right now. We went a little bit out of our comfort zone and got the haggis bonbon. Yeah, so haggis is a Scottish-based dish. They kind of call it a savory pudding. But if you've been to Louisiana and had boudin, it's very similar, the consistency inside. The difference is some of the ingredients are kind of different. Like, for example, haggis is typically made with oats, whereas a boudin is going to be made with rice. But you can kind of understand what we're kind of talking about. And so they're, in a way, they're fried boudin balls, except they're fried haggis. And it's a very popular dish over there. Also over there, typically, it's a part-just-part style meal, meaning that they'll use things like sheep lung. That isn't allowed here in the U.S., so the haggis that you have here in the U.S. does not have sheep lung, which is better, in my opinion. It's not as authentic, I guess, but it is better. Um, 
So, That's up for controversy. Yeah, but it was it was a very interesting. It wasn't a very strong flavor, but it was still very good. Absolutely, and the sides that they had, all of their sauces, both for the fish and chips, and then the sauce that they had to dip the haggis in, were all homemade and really added to that flavor. The menu itself, these are just a touch. And like we said, it's an extensive menu that features po'boys and what they're really known for, brunch. Their Sunday brunch is out of this world. I've gone on another time, and it is packed in there the entire time. And they have an extravagant Bloody Mary that you can only get on Sundays. So definitely worth checking them out for their Sunday brunch, their lunch, or dinner. And like we said, it's St. Patrick's Day weekend. It's the pub. And as you can imagine, they've got events going on all St. Patrick's Day long. We're told there'll be five entertainers that day. They'll have fire dancers, giveaways. They'll have different uh, food and drink specials. Uh, And that's just in addition to all the live regular music that they have and the comedic acts that they'll bring in, country and Western singers, uh, even some Celtic-style music, too. So... They know how to entertain, and on St. Patrick's Day, it's their biggest day for a reason, the only only Irish pub in town. So if you're in the area during that time, you know where to go. So make plans to head over this weekend for St. Patrick's Day, or really any time that you're in town, catch a sunset there, head over for lunch, and uh, tell us what you think. From a great meal to a great guest, we welcome on Eddie Bonine, the executive director of the LHSAA. He's been in that role since 2015, coming over from a similar role in Nevada. He's been a coach, a teacher, an administrator, and now a guest on the Louisiana's Playground podcast. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Thank you so much for having me and look forward to uh, this podcast. Yes, we are really excited about this conversation today and to talk about so many of the different ways that sports and Youth sports impacts our community and our state as a whole. But before we get started with our conversation, we want to ask you a few questions to get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? Be kind. (laughs) Okay, first one. Crawfish or gumbo? Gumbo. Why? My wife's gumbo. Very specific. specific. She's native Louisiana, as you probably know. So, yes, my wife's gumbo. What what kind's your favorite there? Uh, She makes a spicy uh, undo sausage, chicken, shrimp. And out west, where we came from, we of course we weren't about did not have the the water bug, so we um, she made those, but she would make them in different ways. Uh, I think one of our favorite was that right after Thanksgiving, uh, she would take and boil the turkey down and uh, pull all the bones out that we could, and and uh, and put all the other ingredients in, and and that would be what we'd have a couple of days there after Thanksgiving. So the turkey gumbo was was special. We fry the turkey and then because it's already seasoned and you just throwing that in. I I'm glad you're an equal a man of culture there because I I, <laughs> I don't I don't one. mind crawfish, but I'm not the guy who likes to bite and suck and get all that stuff out of there. You know, as everybody does, and some people can eat with both hands, one in the mouth and both hands going to grab more. But if you if you get it out of the out of the shell for me, I love uh, etouffee, <laughs> uh, catfish etouffee. You know, catfish with the the, the, oh, the uh, crawfish that chaffle, etouffee. They the, call it yeah, chapalaya, chapalaya or Acadian. Mm-hmm. You've seen a couple yeah, of different names. absolutely. So I'm definitely all about that too. That's sure. why I gained 50 pounds when I moved down here. <laughs> I'm right there with you on that one. <laughs> Poolside or beachside? Oh, uh, I'm more of a boat guy. Um, you know, we we had pools, but I have I still own a boat. And uh, we did a lot of boating with our, our sons as they were growing up. Uh, still have that boat, actually. We bought it in 2004. 
and uh, we did a lot of water. I'm a water sports guy. We, um, the boys loved the tubing behind that as well as wakeboarding, mm-hmm. uh, as did my wife. So pool, um, I'm a poolside guy too, so I'm going to answer all of them. I like being around the water. Uh, I like a good pool. I've been in the pool in the lazy rivers of the couple of the hotel casinos that are here yeah. when we stayed here. Uh, we've come back a couple of times for actually for spring break with our boys down here, come back down here. Uh, but um, I'll take all of them as long as I'm outside. And I'm born and raised in Arizona, so we're used to the heat. Not the humidity, but used to the heat. <laughs> it really is. You had mentioned the lazy rivers. It feels like that you get transported, you know, or I'd say trans- that you get transported into a completely different place while you're there. Which, you know, our city and everything that we offer here is beautiful, but it's just another piece of something else that we can offer. When you go in that lazy river, you forget where you are. And and it's easy to hear to forget where you are with the drinks with the umbrellas in it. So that's also special down here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I can't agree more on the just being by the water. I think that's a really big element of that question. Okay. Absolutely. Final one. Concert or comedy show? Comedy show. Something that I agree with, yes. but it's not a very popular answer. Why comedy show? I've had the privilege of when I'm living out west and specifically 20 plus years before I moved here in Nevada. Uh, and a lot of different comedy acts come through, not only Reno, but uh, but also Las Vegas. And uh, I think that's where I kind of got to it, depending up. I mean, I've, I've gone and seen Don Rickles live. If anybody, your wow. listeners are that old, uh, Don Rickles. Yeah. You know, so um, uh, comedy, definitely. Concert, good concert. We saw a lot of concerts living out west as well. Have not been to a concert here, but there's still a lot of concerts available. But um with living in a state that that has casinos, mm-hmm. uh, casinos don't stay in business, number one, if they don't have good food. Number two, if they don't offer some other form of opportunity for entertainment outside of the gaming side. Uh, so we've had the opportunity to see both. But if I had my choice, I'd go see a good comedy show. Let's transition now to the topic at hand, which, of course, is youth sports in the Lake Charles area, specifically those under the umbrella of the LHSAA. And in fact, this area has really become the youth sports capital of Louisiana with the numerous events championship for you guys. Plus, it seems like every weekend in the spring, summer and fall, there's a regional, state or national baseball tournament, softball tournament or event here in the area. And I think it just really speaks to what the devotion of this community is for that. And I'm sure you've seen that firsthand from your experiences. I have, first of all, but the commitment that this community and parish has made to do exactly what you just said uh, and target those, those activities is second to none across our state. I've been coming here for eight years, so I've seen the growth of, of the, the lodging uh, opportunities saw them being built when a storm comes in and, and damages them. Now you all have rebuilt them. That's where actually where we're staying now is in that loop down there now. Uh, great hotels, good food, hospitality is incredible. Easy to navigate around the city when it comes to, to driving around. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a treasure. And I believe not only in the state of Louisiana, but surrounding states know that. I'm an older guy, the old three-sport guy through high school kind of stuff, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and now we've gone away in a lot of specializations that a community as such with the facilities that you have in your baseball facilities and softball facilities and soccer facilities and, and others, those year-round opportunities, the weather for the most part here is good year-round. Uh, it's occasionally windy, but, you know, the average temperature here is, what, almost 70 degrees uh, year-round, something like that. Mm-hmm. So you have all the all of the boxes checked when it comes to uh, youth sports, regardless of the age. Uh, and, of course, I concentrate on the, the 9 through 12 or that 14 to to 18 to 19 year olds, if you will, but um, can't beat it. Uh, y'all do a great job with it, and uh, 
you've checked all the boxes. And the experience obviously is is a thing. I mean, we've been hosting events, LHSA events since 2001. That's when the softball tournament first got here, which we'll talk a little bit about more of that. Baseball, swimming, and now the most recent venture, which has been boys basketball, celebrating its 10 years now. So that's a decade plus of experience hosting these events. So I think it's no shock to me of how polished we've become doing so. The, the collaboration amongst the uh, all of the agencies within Calcasieu Parish is second to none when it comes to coordination of, of what needs to happen here. And I don't exaggerate when I say for the LHSA to roll in here, it's almost turnkey. Uh, there's stuff that we have to do as as tournament hosts uh, in coordinating the function itself uh, and, and the event. But overall, if you, as I know you have, but if anybody has been to the Burton Center, uh, Burton Coliseum, from the time you roll in, there's there's Calcasieu Sheriff and local Metro Police presence immediately. You feel safe. Uh, if you're in the venue, you feel safe. Uh, the, uh, uh, Sheriff Mancuso and others do a, an incredible job uh, with the assignment of their uh, of their staff there. The command center they have set up outside. I mean, it's there's a presence of real safety there, which is very important, as you know, with the stories that we all unfortunately have to deal with on a regular basis, not only in our state but nationwide. Um, but you, you all with the Southwest Convention Authority uh, here, it's 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 a, it's hitting on if they, now I guess there's more than eight cylinders in some vehicles now, but it's hitting on <laughs> old Vantage. It's hitting on all eight cylinders, dude. Uh, it, it's it's it, it, uh, it's very nice on how we're doing it and, and how you all have done it and collaboratively with us and um, uh, you all do a good job, really do. And hearing you say all of that just really confirms why we are these sports capital of Louisiana. And I know when we talk about that, it's not just Lake Charles either. It is all of Calcasieu Parish, including Sulphur area, but that's not just it. There's so much more that LHSAA does to bring teams and host families together and have that program here. And our community members really embrace bringing those teams here and showing them all that we have to offer. Absolutely. You see this man and wife or these three people or four people sitting directly behind the bench on the floor, knowing that that's not the school administration or the AD, the athletic directors, that's the host family that walked them onto the floor and are there whenever their time to leave. So a great model. I don't know how many other state associations across the nation do that. I haven't asked, uh, but um, it goes back to what we said earlier on in this, in this podcast, the hospitality uh, and the, the level of, of, um, wanting to you feel welcome here off the charts and you had mentioned about these host families even keep contact with them years mm -hmm. after it happened you know i've heard stories of some even buying championship rings for some of the players because of the some of the hardships the kids ended up going through they've paid for dinners it's more than just a game to them it is and I, and and i'm not gonna mention names but there was an incident where an individual uh progressed went into college played college basketball and brought those that host family to their first basketball game at that university here in Louisiana and had them sit courtside. So wow. uh, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, the payback, if we're pay for it, however you want to look at that. But yeah, uh, incredible. A, a good relationship built there. What really stands out the most as a visitor when coming to Lake Charles? I think the blue shirts, the ones you have on, sets the tone for everybody. Uh, again, when you come into this community, uh, coming, and, and of course I come from the east, coming in uh, I-10 West, um, the presence of law enforcement uh, is a good thing. People drive the speed limits. I mean, it's 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 just, it sounds like a small thing, but when I travel this state, which I do, 
you know, it's it's just very obvious that when you come here, you feel safe. The people, the food, uh, which Louisiana is known for, but you all are known for as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, um, as part of our hospitality, y'all feed us while we're here. So every day, uh, we get a a menu that we can pick from. Uh, someone from your staff is going out and bringing food into us, be it lunch and dinner. And I haven't seen the same menu twice. Uh, and, and they're just great local spots, all good food. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, it, it's basically turnkey for us other than the things that we have to do to make sure the tournament runs smoothly. Uh, our officials that come into town feel welcome. I think all that stuff bundled together, you, do, you all do an incredible job. Um, it's, we're always looking forward to coming down here. It's special to me because this is my very first event uh, when I became your executive director right. uh, eight years ago in 2015. Uh, and y'all gave me a commemorative, which I have sitting right behind my desk in my office, a commemorative uh, little trophy, if you will, with a basketball on it that says, inaugurative thing, says, it said my, me as executive director, March, uh, my first March Madness, which I'll always have to, and I cherish that. It was, it was special. You talk so much about all that we promote here and share about why our community is such a special place to us and to visitors and teams and coming into the area. You touched so much on the restaurants and the hotels and how those experiences impact your decisions and what you all get by being here. And that directly correlates to the economic impact that March Madness and these tournaments bring to our community. Just last week, we had March Madness in town, and that was expected to bring over 20 million in economic impact because those teams are eating out at all these great restaurants. They're staying in the hotels, just like yourself, and experiencing all the things that we've been talking about here that there are to see and do. And just that fact alone is incredible on what it brings to our community to have these tournaments here. And, and that that's, a, again, that's a whole nother conversation because we know when people come here uh, that the, some are gonna stay. Uh, there's some communities that are able to commute back and forth, hence why we have the format we do. You play on Monday, you don't come back to list it. You play on Tuesday, you know, it gives you some time if you wanna make that decision on whether you wanna go back home or come. And most schools within 100, 150 miles of here actually don't spend the night here. There's an old antage, as I'm an old high school principal as well, that at any time, and coach, at any time you don't have to spend a night with teenagers on the road, you try not to do so. <laughs> so I can imagine, yeah. So, so but, but um, uh, some schools, that's just inevitable. But I think that the on the economic side for the communities, uh, that's what you all do. I mean, that's uh, that's part of driving business, and it is a business model. I understand that, and we all do that. But it's it's great for the community overall, those coffers for all the people. Well, I was going to say you had mentioned COVID, and somehow everything ties back to Marsh Madness in some way. It was the event going on when COVID happened. Correct. And you guys made an effort to still hold the championships for the kids and do so in an empty gym where that wasn't happening across the nation. And I guess to, to further go on that, when the governor sent down the order that events had to be this size, that was while games were going on, you guys had to pivot and to do so in the best interest of the student athletes, which at the time looked to be, and I think I even agree with it still, was to give these guys at least that chance for an opportunity for a championship because that was the last one held for nearly a full calendar year. And it was the last event held in the nation. Mm. We took some serious heat over it. But we got them in. Uh, we got the championships crowned. That following Monday, we went back to the offices, packed our stuff up, 
that was when the order of of um, what, what was it called? Secure in place, or you know, basically, don't leave your house. Yeah. Like shelter in place. Shelter in place. We, Shut down. <laughs> we, we moved all of our uh, computer stuff, everything. I set up an office at my home, and we worked from home from that period of time for forty some odd days. My wife, as I mentioned earlier, is is a school teacher, math teacher. At the time, was teaching at Catholic High Baton Rouge in in, um, uh, in Baton Rouge, and was putting together video streams. Um, uh, videotaping uh, lessons on a whiteboard in our on our back porch, back uh, covered area, uh, and so it, we all made some some changes. But it was at this this was that that was I was sitting here in this city when that came down. Um, we were sitting in the arena and somebody mentioned it to us and we started going in and watching the news and then they found the the second case of COVID was in Shreveport. Went ooh. And then the third case, and then and then of course you know the rest of the story. It just um, it just snowballed after that. But we got them in, and um, a lot of the parents when they found out that they couldn't get in, that was uh, we were not doing all online ticketing at the time. Um, in fact, we we're just talking about this last night uh, with some colleagues. A lot of people went to play-ons. No, not play-ons. Walk-ons. Uh, walk-ons. Excuse me. Walk-ons. And there was fairly new at the time. Mm-hmm. Your, I think your 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 organization went down and purchased the NFHS Network's uh, online service. They put it up on all the TVs in walk-ons, so the schools that were playing that they couldn't see, they they overwhelmed that that particular restaurant and food and beverage and everything, and watched the games from there. So uh, y'all again, y'all adjusted and and coordinated that with the ownership there at the walk-ons here and the manager, and it worked out successfully then you know we everybody got the trophies and and uh then at that point we just we shut down and and yeah. and and i think a lot of positives eventually came out of that for the lhsaa and all the other government agencies that have acronyms we all all of a sudden now we're communicating better than we'd ever communicated got to be really good got be really good at zoom and other uh forms of communicating other than in person uh, and and of course now we're here we are in in 2023. I think you made a great point about everything that has really changed and how much when we're talking economic impact, the families themselves are a part of that. Just last week, we had over 20,000 people expected at LHSAA and the Boys Basketball Championship with Marsh Madness. You can see the impact that's not only making on our community, but it's making on these families and these students and players. We, We had a school that had never been to the postseason in the sport of basketball. Everybody came and we always kid about, well, tonight's a good night if you want to steal a horse, a big screen TV, or break in because every police officer, every stoplight, and every person from that community is here tonight just looking to stands. You know, we, <laughs> some of these small communities, they, they bring everybody. Mm-hmm. They bring everybody, uh, which is a cool thing. Everybody might mean only 2,700 people, but it's everybody, and you know they're there. My, my first year here, I want to say, Sulphur and Barr both ended up in the semifinal state baseball championship game. That field area, it was eight 9,000 people. Everybody came out for that. So that's the kind of stuff that we see um, and kid about. But when we look at it, we think, wow, yeah. you know, it, it's incredible for these schools. Some have never been here. Wish they could get here and talk about that. So back to your point with the families and the communities, they all strive, and the right bounce, the right call, the right timing. They just 
Not that they're satisfied by getting here because those coaches say, hey, we're not going to just be satisfied. We're going to, to play the semifinal game at the Burton Coliseum. We're going to win it now. Mm-hmm. It's more than just showing up and being here. Right. But still, when those kids come out onto that floor here, music's playing, you know, the, the, everything's ready to roll. So just the experience overall uh, on it is, is special for everybody. And that's what I will always do as your executive director is make sure that the experience for the, the athletes, uh, the fans, the student, the student population, uh, the, the grandparents, the parents, all the families, and uh, the officials is a good experience for everybody. And that's what we try to do in your community as a sensational job for that. And I wanted to talk about the baseball uh, and softball, but especially baseball for this specific example, because you had kind of touched on it the year where Sulphur and Barb had played on such high stakes, Sulphur and Barb, both local high schools in the area. And in fact, this area really is, I think, the mecca of high school baseball in the state of Louisiana, just per capita, how many teams we have consistently. There's been years where, you know, we have 20-something teams that go, and nine of them are from one area, Southwest Louisiana, which mm-hmm. happens to be where we host these championships. There's mm-hmm. been years where the three best schools in the area at baseball, Sulphur, Barb, and Sam Houston, have yep. been in the semifinals, which means three of the four teams at the highest and best classification are from here. So I think while Marsh Madness is such an amazing event to attend and to see, especially when it takes communities from across the state to come and, and witness that and you see the passion from there, seeing the championship events when they're between two teams from the area in which it's being hosted, as we've seen in baseball numerous times, the Sam Houston and Barb semifinals and championships, the Sulphur and Sam Houston's that we've seen in the last few years, that experience, the 5,000 people at a baseball game crowded around, hands on the iron link fence watching, that passion to me is one thing that's, it's hard to match. You can't match it. And, and, and what you all have done with your facilities here, um, is not only attracting high school sports, but you have college teams that are coming here. My oldest son graduated um, in 2018, I believe, 2019, from a school in Baton Rouge. And that small school he played for came here, and he pitched on field 41. Uh, He came down and got beat in the semifinals, but he came down here. And everybody in that community, baseball players and, and teachers from that school, which is now closed, all came down. They hadn't been here in 12, 13, 14 years. All of those individuals, everybody across the state, again, as I mentioned, the road to the Dome, they all know the road to Lake Charles. They all know the the road they need to do for softball uh, and baseball and how they travel to do so. Uh, They all know what they need to do to get here. And uh, and then when you've been to those events, they fill those stadiums up. Uh, And and I think that the divisional play and the formats that we've set up now, uh, if you look at... um, the margin of victory is is we've trimmed anywhere from 18 to 22 points off of some of that, and the competition has been outstanding. So I think that's the other part of that that plays into this as well. Yeah, and I wanted to say that that seeing that passion firsthand. So ba- the way that the basketball tournament works is that it's a week-long event from Monday to Saturday. The semifinals are the first four days, I uh, believe, and then the championship. It is. A lot of games. And the championships ten, ten, yeah. are, are kind of all held there on Saturday, whereas the baseball and softball are done very similarly. But the difference is there's not just one court. For baseball, it's spread over three different fields there at McMurray Park and Sulphur. And for softball, it's spread between eight different diamonds. Yeah. And so at the, those semifinal matchups, when you have eight games going on at one time, 
and you can hear the passion and the cheering from one diamond and then the other. It's it's something that is such a to me. It's a sports must see if you're from Louisiana. It it is, and and be, we're no longer under any form of COVID restrictions. So you know we were having to you pay for one game, you get in, and then we remove you from the facility and and have to clean everything up. And we're we're past that. We're back to the way it always was. You buy one ticket. You know, you buy you want to watch basketball today at one fifteen, and you also want to watch that eight that that game that starts in the evening. You buy one ticket, you can stay and watch that. You watch all of them. So it's one ticket gets you in. But five games on Monday, five games on Tuesday, five games on Wednesday, five games on Thursday to get you to the five-game championship games on Friday and the five championship games on Saturday is, is a lot of basketball. And we've been talking so much about basketball, baseball, softball, but like Charles also hosts the swimming as well, correct? Absolutely. And those experiences, though a little bit more of intimate, that's still a, an opportunity where those teams and those athletes are coming to the community and having that same type of experience and opportunity to really shine that they wouldn't have in other places per se. Before my uh, service as your executive director, the swimming at one point was held in at UNO or held in New Orleans, outgrew it. You know, so we, we've outgrown this facility. Scheduling now has to be almost down to the letter. It's tight, on decks tight, uh, where the athletes are, where people sit. I kiddingly say to anybody, I say it to whoever listens to this podcast, if you're a multimillionaire and you want to do something for the community, build a aquatic center that seats 3,000 people, that there's no seating on the deck. The deck is 25 feet in width and perimeter all the way, all the way around the pool. The pool is deep enough for 10-meter dive, for diving as well, swimming and diving, and, uh, and both ends are equal and, and your Olympic-sized pool. And you build it they will come um, because as you do here, you know, you have adult swimmers that go in and, and they buy a membership there and they swim and, and they're very, very cordial in allowing us to, to infringe on that for the days that we're down here. And that swimming community is tight knit. Those kids have been swimming against each other in the minnows and the piranhas for, <laughs> forever, whatever those swim, swim clubs nationwide, they travel around, they know each other just like golf. You know those those individual slash team sports, those kids play that those all the time, uh, and and that is a, a great championship in itself. And and there's numerous uh, records that are set, not only state records but national records with swimmers that we have right here in the state of Louisiana. You had touched on the competition levels between these teams at these championship events and in the playoffs has increased this past year. That's due to obviously. Uh, I think it's safe to call it a controversial, at least in some circles, uh, change that the executive council of the LHSA made last year, where you kind of—I don't want to say you blew up what we are, what was there, but just reorganized and redefined what was non-select and select, aka schools that can change enrollment based off of people that lived in their area versus ones that can't. And with that, what used to be very unbalanced brackets now are very balanced in terms of numbers. Has the vision that you guys put in place with it to change that, have you felt like it has worked the way you guys want it to up to this point? So in the course of my internship here as, as your executive director, we've kept data. And I have a great staff I've surrounded myself with. And when you're implementing a mercy rule in football and basketball, specifically for your playoffs, you may want to take a look at the playoffs. We did. And 
when it comes to this, the, the select, non-select, if you recall, I was when I was hired, uh, on one of my interview questions, specifically asked what I would do or what I would attempt to do to bring the state back together uh, and play as a, as a whole, not have the, the select, non-select. Obviously, the answer I gave was appreciative because I got the job. And then for two years, I you know, had rider trucks parked in my front yard, uh, wanted me to leave and go back where I came from. But I stayed on course, got past that. I haven't mentioned select, non-select in any meetings since 20, uh, 2016. Other individuals across the state as a principal have made proposals to do so, and it hasn't, it stayed as it stayed. But data, I'm an educator by trade. And educational, I'm, I'm about educational options and doing what's best for your student uh, when it comes on the academic side. And educational options from 2011-12 and prior to that to now to date have changed tremendously of what you can and can't. I mean, there's students graduating from high school with 21, if not more, college credits before they even step on a college campus in, in form of dual curriculum stuff. So all these options have changed. All I did and presented to the committee, which endorsed it, was the criterion that was used to establish the initial split, known as a split, now select, non-select. All I did was implement that criterion to everybody that has educational options now. A kid wanted to go to a private school because it was faith-based. Okay, that's still an option some students have. Or they have this, or they have this, or they have this. Well, now you've got all of these magnet schools, magnet programs within magnet schools, schools that aren't a magnet school, but they're a magnet program that can draw students from outside of their normal attendance zone. And that's all we did. And we were able to work with the Department of Education, who we have a member who sits on our on our executive committee, Mr. Ken Bradford, who's now, I think, second behind um, the state school superintendent, does an incredible job for us. We're, got, we're not getting any data from him that nobody else can't get. We're not getting any special treatment in that regard. And started looking at numbers. Hence why we ended up with 47% uh, are taking students outside their either outside of their attendance zone and or the athletic attendance zone designated for that, whether it be bus routes or how you get students. In. Right. Everybody knows when they're supposed to go to school. And if you choose to go somewhere other than that and that school within the same parish allows that school choice, if you will, then there's going to be an issue. We have a rule specifically in place that if you do that, your freshman year, you can't play varsity sports but you can do that as a JV level, but you can't move any time after that. And some then would try to get around the rule by making themselves an 8-12 so that that kid can play their eighth grade year and get that out of the way and get four years of varsity eligibility, where if you're just a public school and you're a 9-12 configuration, you don't get that extra year of eligibility. You got three years. So all we did was just make things more equitable. And man, did it fire some people up. But it's a small group because now after seeing the football playoffs and the margin of victory changing, not implementing a running clock, schools getting beat by 70 in football in the first round. We don't see that. It was courageous on behalf of our executive committee, but when we sat and I sat and presented this in a public meeting, we didn't do it behind closed doors. It was done in a public meeting, and people just went, wow, okay, and they approved it to the chagrin of some. Some didn't want to be considered select. Because for the longest time, 75% of the schools thought if you were selected at 25%, that there was that was a bad place to be, I guess. I'm not sure. But those 109 schools, 69 private schools, 109 back in 2010, 11, uh, 12 initially, that were moved to select, they didn't get an opinion on it. Uh, they didn't get an appeal, which we offered an appeal process. They were just, there you go. Swallow that pill. We didn't do that. 
We allowed people to come in. We had a number of appeals. Decisions were made. There was 30-some-odd schools within parishes that out in the outer skirts, and you could probably name some here, um, Hackberry, for example. But people aren't moving, leaving here and going to school out there. There may be some people out there that are coming into here, right? But that in the general. So there would have been some exceptions to what some of the end. There was a number of exceptions given. All the data, we'll be able to present the data in June of all of our championships. What has positively happened? We're seeing it right now in basketball. Uh, we're seeing schools. There were three, fact check me, three or four state championships in girls basketball that those individuals a year ago were on the non-select side that are now on the select side. Won a state championship in girls basketball. Lesser competition? No, it's just the way the format is set up. And if we look at who they might have played, if they'd have been remained on that non-select side, I'm not so sure they'd have won it. That's not meaning that select side was easier. It's about, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, it's about matchups. We did a lot of research. It wasn't something we did in jerk. We didn't do it in spite of anybody. And I think that the data will show that, that, that what the committee did um, was, was courageous on their behalf. Anywhere you try to make change, it's difficult. But I've always remained focused on what I think is best for the student-athletes in competition. I don't believe that the, all the principals across the state focus on the entire association as much as they do, as probably I would do as well. They're specifically worried about their school, their community, and I understand that. But my job is to, from uh, Avoyles to Zawali, A to Z, my job is to ensure that corner to corner across the state that it's a good process for all the schools in our state. And, and I believe through all of this in the eight years I've been here, um, I've remained to keep my eye, my eye on that specific ball, or balls in this case, were for the student athlete, uh, and, uh, and have taken whatever I've taken for that, right or wrong. We've talked a lot about so many of the changes that have been made as we've gone into this championship season and with the brackets and the fish officials and just everything that we have going on. But you all as LHSAA have a number of other things that are on the horizon and really exciting to continue to elevate the organization and this all of the sports and athletics here in the state of Louisiana. And some of those include, we were talking earlier, podcast potential, TV potential, just a lot of things to really get these games and these athletes in front of audiences and new avenues. And thanks for bringing that up. Yes, that's an initiative we're working on right now. I, I'll make be making a present, brief presentation as, as the inaugural uh, groundbreaking, if you will, just to, to let the my executive committee, which is comprised of 28 individuals, 26 uh, liaisons and or city principals right now. So That'll be in April. But we're looking to set up a studio there in the offices, partnering with with a um, with the group to start LHSA TV, uh, which would do podcasts, but also establishing a potentially establishing a, a studio. We have a, a facility availability where we could do that um, and start sending out, pushing out more messages of our own. Um, it's easy to say that we try to communicate the best we can, whether it be by text message, one on one direct text or we do uh, through email. But with the audiovisual capabilities now with technology like we're sitting in this room today, which which is incredible, and start our own messaging. So uh, we're going to do that. We're, we're going to start the process. Fall would be probably ambitious for us, but we're going to give it a shot and see where we can move. Funding, uh, I have no, do not have one line item presently with that. Uh, we work with uh, then Outfront Media, but we're now with Playfly. 
Uh, they're our marketing company that we use and work with on funding for pieces of that as well. Uh, so we're going to get we're going to get something in place. It will not it'll it'll co coexist with the NFHS network, uh, which we stream all of our semis and, and championships through. And and my present role as an executive director of Louisiana, I represent now. I'm on the National Federation of State High Schools at NFHS, uh, representing the SEC. So I'll have that position for four years. In doing so, some of the subcommittees I've sit on. One of them is is the whole core board, which is the uh, holding of the uh, rights. Um, of the 47 of the 51 state associations that are involved in the NFHS network. There's an NFHS executive council or board. Uh, we are subsidiary and oversee that. So I'm parts of that as well. My point is that we will be able to coexist with, with that. And it gives us a quality, a quality crew or crews with two or three stationary cameras, on-floor cameras, uh, all the abilities to do that when it comes to our own championships, hiring those individuals to do those, uh, as well as the on-air personnel. So I think it's time for us to do that. And for me as executive director to not only get in front of a camera, but also get in front of a microphone as we're doing today and, and push messages out to our membership. And so anything we can do to, to drive message to our membership other than posting on our website or other stuff like that, we're going to do that. This has been such an enlightening conversation of all that LHSAA does for the community, for the athletes, and just how the organization is moving forward. Where can people get more information about championships um, or volunteer opportunities? Where can they go and learn about that? LHSA.org. It's it's our our main our main webpage. That's where. And if and if you can't find it, our staff is accessible. We have somebody on the phones all the time. Uh, you can reach out to everybody, and all of our contact information is on the website. Um, and right now, props to Calcasieu Parish, our LHS Executive Committee present, seated president for the 23, 24 years, is Principal Miss Shannon Folks of, uh, of Sam Houston High School. Uh, she's been a, a valuable board member for us, and obviously, as does all the others on that board, nominated her to become, she was vice president for us for two years. Shannon does an incredible job, and kudos to Calcasieu Parish. I, that might be the first time you've had somebody from this area that sits in the chair with the gavel, uh, who I communicate with daily, sometimes hourly, but Shannon does a good job and, and we appreciate her leadership. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast and joining us for this conversation. I, I think it's been one that has really answered so many questions about just the impact that youth sports has here on Southwest Louisiana and us being the capital of youth sports for Louisiana and just all that it brings and entails. So thank you for being here today with us. Thank you so much. And uh, we appreciate what you all do. We appreciate everybody here in Kakashu Parish and specifically you at the Convention Authority and everything you all do. It's, it's a collaborative effort and, and uh, we're, we feel privileged to have the opportunity to partner with this community as well as uh, what you all do here with, with uh, Southwest Louisiana. Thanks again to Mr. Eddie Bonine for joining us here on the show. And thank you for taking time out of your day to join us on the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating or review. Each one helps us grow our audience and further share the unique experiences that Lake Charles and Southwest Louisiana has to offer. Go to visitlakecharles.org slash podcast for all of our episodes, where to eat and events happening this weekend. I'm Anna Strider. And I'm Brady Raynard. Thanks again for coming play at Louisiana's Playground. So to you.